0: Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Dr. Randy Woodson, the chancellor at North Carolina State University. He's now in his 14th year, which is a a long tenure for a chancellor these days. Uh, But you have done such a marvelous job. I think everybody hopes that you're going to be there another 14 years, uh, maybe except your wife. Uh
1: Yeah, don't say that to my wife, for sure.
0: Uh, But one of the things that has uh, been such a joy to watch living in Raleigh has been the development of the Centennial Campus. And uh, why don't you just give us a little background of where the Centennial Campus came from and how it's developed up to this point?
1: Well, Centennial Campus really uh, came out of a a joint vision uh, from Governor Jim Hunt, who, as you know, just did so much for our state. And uh, Chancellor Bruce Poulton, who was here at the university at the time, and just to cut to the chase quickly, Governor Hunt was in a had a challenging situation. He was uh, uh, had all this land associated with the former Dix Hospital, uh, Dorothea Dix Hospital, and um, a lot of pressure to to sell the land, uh, and of course benefit the state through that sale. And uh, he worked with Bruce Poulton to say, all right, I'll transfer this land to NC State, but only if the university develops this, not only as an academic campus, but through public-private partnerships to stimulate the economy. And uh, to show how bipartisan we were, uh, Jim Hunt transferred the first tranche of land to NC State on our centennial in in, uh, 1980. Uh, seven and then subsequently Governor Jim Martin a Republican governor uh, transferred a larger portion of land to complete the transaction and so Centennial campus is a uh, it's a college campus it's the home of our uh world-class hunt library and the home of the College of Engineering and the College of textiles but it's also the home of 76 companies uh in corporate and and uh government research agencies that uh, bring a lot of vitality to our campus they hire our students they provide internships for our students and research funding for our faculty one example that your listeners would be surprised by is we have uh, a government agency everyone knows called the national security agency that has a lab on our campus uh, where they're studying uh, new ways of of keeping our country safe and partnering with our uh, our faculty in applied math and statistics and computer science. So it's a great way to uh, to k- generate economic growth for the region and at the same same time bring phenomenal partners to our campus. One of our latest and newest partners on campus is Under Armour, uh, the company that. All athletic departments would know because it's a company that's that's famous for athletic attire, and they have their innovation center for textile manufacturing on our campus. So it's a it's been a great asset, and we're very grateful to Governor Hunt and Governor Martin for the vision uh, of not only transferring that land but giving us the statutory ability to develop it both um, as a private development as well as a public university
0: what percentage of the land is under use and how much is uh, yet remaining for the future
1: we're we're at about 50 percent capacity in terms of land um but we just received a a zoning um new zoning authority on our campus that would allow us to go higher in construction you know, Raleigh's getting to be a city with uh, taller buildings. So while we're fifty percent developed in terms of land use, uh, we're not fifty percent of what the potential capacity of our campus is uh, with with taller and more dense construction.
0: These private companies, do they uh, also offer your students an opportunity to work with them on a either paid internship basis or a paid
1: basis? They certainly do. In fact, they uh every year they employ hundreds of our students as interns. And this is companies like um Bandwidth, which is a, um a, you know, Red Hat, the company that's in downtown Raleigh, uh grew up on Centennial campus. And um, and so yes, they do hire a lot of our students as interns, and then when they graduate, they hire them. Um so When you look at the companies that are headquartered on Centennial Campus, you'll find that uh, NC State is the largest source of their employees, which is something we're very proud of. Well,
0: it's a a great facility, and I, I enjoy going out there and just riding around and looking at it because it's growing up right before our very eyes. And if you live within the area and you're traveling to Raleigh or you live in Raleigh, you need to stop by and, and and ride through the centennial campus because it it just gives you an idea of what is available you know one of the things that's interesting to me is the relationship between uh, unc chapel hill and north carolina state because their curriculums balance off in many cases there's there's some overlap obviously but the truth of the matter is a lot of the federal grants that uh, are received by one or both of the colleges uh depend greatly on having the other
1: one around well it's a it's a great collaboration as you point out um we do have some overlap I mean we both have chemistry departments and we have mathematics and other things uh that we both have but you know our strength in engineering uh Carolina's strength in human medicine and pharmacy etc provides tremendous opportunities for collaboration Um, We have a joint department, one of the only ones in the country, between two research, one universities, and that's biomedical engineering. So a student that studies biomedical engineering at NC State or at Carolina, when they graduate, they get a single diploma with both names on the diploma. Um, It's a true joint department. Uh, This morning, for example, and I, I shouldn't refer to a date because I know this is... Uh, but uh, the re- recently the Board of Governors awarded the... Um, uh, um, oh gosh, um, the Max Gardner, the O Max Gardner Award uh, to a professor at UNC Chapel Hill um, who cited his relationship with faculty at NC State as a big driver for his research. So, um, our two universities come together much more than people would ever imagine uh, to compete for grants to um, uh, to teach our students and you know sometimes um, sometimes we we steal each other's faculty we try to avoid that but it is a free market economy (laughs) but for the most part you know our two universities uh, really, really build off of each other's strengths.
0: You brought up faculty is retention of the faculty and recruiting faculty uh, how how is that going these days? I understand it's uh, that a number of professors are staying on longer than previous years and uh, but are we having a number of uh, uh, new faces to show
1: up? Yeah, it's, um, I will candidly it we had a challenge with faculty retention. Uh, a few years ago because don as you know we went for three years without a budget in as a state um and and that resulted in us not having the ability to keep uh pace with our peers in terms of salary fortunately the legislature and the governor have agreed on budgets in recent years uh and we're hopeful that that will be the case again this year um, and and that's translated in us being in a better position uh, to to really make sure that we're competitive with our faculty and staff. So retention is is uh, improving, uh, and um, it is we faculty are working longer. Um, and I will say though that we've had more retirements during COVID than we experienced in the last decade. I think um you know a lot of people rethought their their life during that pandemic and uh and that's led to us having a lot of opportunities to bring new new faculty onto our campus. So we're we're in a hiring hiring frenzy um and and that's a that's a good thing for our our university to be able to bring new talent in, new ideas and uh and keep NC State moving forward
0: we talked about collaborations uh, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the collaboration with uh, UNC Chapel Hill, but also the community college system is working more and more with higher education. Uh, Would you uh, talk about that a little?
1: Yeah, actually it's a, um, it's an interesting development because historically we thought about community colleges in, in their relationship with higher uh, universities being uh, as feeder schools. You know, we, we transfer about 1,500 students a year to NC State. Uh, about 900 of those come from our great community college system. But increasingly, we're partnering with community colleges in economic development. Uh, and I mean, Wake Tech is a great example of that. We're, we're right here in in Raleigh, and, and Wake Tech is our largest, um, community college and and we've worked collaboratively with Wake Tech in some uh, educational programs for for companies, for example, uh, for educating um, employees for the technology industry. So uh, our community college system is a great asset for the state and it's an important vehicle for affordability for students to begin their academic career at a community college and then transfer to one of our UNC system schools. But increasingly, it's um, also a, a connection point for us but with economic development.
0: Well, we've talked about a lot of things. We haven't talked about the impact of the endowment and the contributions made by uh, uh, former alumni and others interested but that's an important part of your budget these days.
1: It is, and and it's a real success story for NC State. Um, I couldn't be more proud of our, our campaign that, um, that ended above $2 billion, which uh, was a, a big thing for us at NC State. I think we've really worked hard to create a culture of philanthropy that's translated into our endowment Exceeding two billion dollars now, uh, and and we've we've almost tripled the number of endowed chairs. Uh, and, and Don, you personally have done so much uh, in philanthropy that you understand this, and you understand the impact uh, that those dollars have on our universities. Um, we have we we've. We have 5,000 undergraduate students now receiving scholarship support that weren't wouldn't have been receiving it before the campaign. So it's impacting affordability. It's impacting faculty retention. It's impacting our ability to build buildings. Uh, you know, our last bond campaign, uh, we got two buildings out of that bond package, but only 50 percent of the cost of those buildings. And the rest we had to raise privately. And so private philanthropy, uh, the way I describe it is we can be good with the support from the state and the tuition dollars our students pay. But to be great, the difference between good and great is what our alumni and our friends do through private philanthropy. And we couldn't be more grateful for it.
0: Well, one of the things that makes me so proud of our state is we have always put a high value in education, and it shows up in our community college system, our university system, and uh, this is just something that I think is inherent in uh, the folks that live here.
1: Well, and it's it's inherent in the culture of our country, and it's, uh, as you know, when you travel around the world, it's it's uniquely American, and uh, we owe a lot to some of those founding philanthropy uh, philanthropists that uh, you know Mellon and others that did so much to create a culture of philanthropy for America.
0: We'll be back with another segment with Dr. Woodson right after these messages. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Great session today with Dr. Randy Woodson, who is the 14th chancellor of North Carolina State University and happens to be in his 14th year, which is a long-term for a chancellor, and he's accomplished so much at NC State and uh, has built uh, just such a great uh, uh, university that uh, we can all be so proud of. Let's, uh, let's, but one of the things that is on everyone's mind right now is college athletics. And so many changes have occurred during the last uh, year or two with the introduction of the name, image, and likeness decision, where athletes can now uh, have agents. Uh, that's even going down to the high school level. We have the portal now where students can transfer in and out quicker and easier. Uh, and, uh, of course, then we've had a lot of talk about conference realignment because of the fact that some of the conferences are paying their schools so much more money than maybe the ACC schools can get. So it's it's a complicated issue. So I'll just open it up and uh, and say, you know, tell me how you see college athletics right now, and, and do you
1: see any good solutions? Well, uh <laughs> I hope there are good solutions because college athletics is. Um, I mean, let me put it to you simply: we have educated more Americans through college athletics than anything other than the GI Bill. Think about that. That's amazing. And and so this culture of education associated with athletics is something uniquely american and something that i hope we never ever lose but it is very very complicated right now uh name image and likeness uh, and on the surface i will tell you i think it's a wonderful thing that a student athlete can benefit from their name their image and likeness if that benefit is legitimate that is if there's a true value associated with um with their relationship with an advertiser advertiser or whatever i think uh, the challenge for us in universities and certainly for coaches is that name image and likeness has become uh a way to induce athletes to attend a certain university and uh and it's 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 not Always evident that the funds student athletes are receiving in the name of name, image, and likeness is truly compensation for services rendered. Uh, and and so, all of us that oversee college athletics are hopeful that we will get some clarity in rules that will make it clear that there are guardrails around NIL. Uh, but currently the fear around antitrust litigation and other uh, court challenges has everyone afraid to to um prosecute if you will the the uh, bad actors in this space but none of us want to take away from the opportunity for a young person to to truly benefit from uh, their uh, you know the value of their brand if, if that value has clear value in the marketplace and that can be reflected. Um, so it's it's a challenge and the portal you know it's it's really really hard right now uh, Don, to be a college coach. I mean think about being a football coach and finishing spring practice and not even sure what your fall roster is going to be uh, because of the potential for transfers. Um, at the same time, uh, we allow all of our other students to transfer between universities. And so this notion that athletics, uh, has to be, um, has to be more restrictive is, is um, would be hard to defend in the court of, of, of law, uh, and and public opinion. So, um, I hope, again, that we're able to put some guardrails around transfer and around inducements to transfer uh, that that make it um, a little easier for our coaches to manage rosters, um, but it's a challenge for sure.
0: Well, you know, uh, the, the good thing about the portal is occasionally an athlete is just over-recruited and gets to... A, place where they're not going to have the opportunity to play, which is very important to them. And uh, that uh, gives them that opportunity to change. But as you said, it also creates these these other problems that, are, that, that don't answer that particular concern.
1: I think uh, some of it uh, will work itself out. And let me give you an example that your listeners will be shocked by, I suspect. Last year, almost 50 percent of all of the Division I men's basketball players entered the transfer portal. But less than 50% of those that entered the transfer portal and gave up their scholarship to do that, wound up with a scholarship and a place to play in Division I. So it's musical chairs and many of the student athletes that entered the portal wound up without a chair to sit in.
0: And, and, and that, yeah.
1: that could create uh, some hesitancy on the part of of student athletes to to make that, uh, to take that risk.
0: Exactly. And uh, that, uh, I, I guess, will take a little bit of time to uh, drive that point home to the point where that makes a difference. And, of course, we also had the uh, uh, in this first couple of years, we had that fifth year of eligibility because of right. COVID that also uh increase the the number of transfers uh right. we also of course everyone in the acc area is concerned about the conference realignment uh, alignment and uh, our situation because the sec schools and the big 10 schools are paying out their conference members uh, a, a greater distribution than the acc i know that uh, you probably can't comment too much on this but that's not going to be a play of a, a level playing field uh, do you have any comments on that that you feel like you can make?
1: Of course, I can make some I mean I, I can always make a comment or two. <laughs> um, I you know we've just come off of the ACC meetings and and I believe that uh, all of the universities that are part of the ACC are really proud to be part of the ACC, and they want our conference to be successful. But we have the reality of a of a revenue gap. Uh, and that's just there's no denying that. Um, the The gap between the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC and the PAC twelve and the PAC and, and the Big twelve is real. And uh, so you know, we've got tremendous leadership in Jim Phillips, and we're working hard to uh, to make sure that we're deriving the the best value out of our conference. Uh, our conference needs to be better uh in in particular in football because that's a big driver of revenue we have a great opportunity now because of our partnership with espn and uh there's a there's a lot more time slots available on espn now because the big 10 is no longer part of espn um so you know there there are a lot of things that we're we can do as a conference to improve our value proposition um And we're all working on those. We also just announced as a conference uh, plans for some differential revenue distribution associated with success. Uh, And that was announced just uh, recently. And and so as we see growth in revenue from the college football playoff expansion, et cetera, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at ways to distribute revenue within the conference. to ensure that we have strong base support for for every university, but also providing some differential revenue that recognizes those schools that are being successful, and and that'll um, that'll stimulate uh, success, we believe. So um, th- we're we're working hard to make sure the ACC uh, remains a, a very strong uh in uh, in competitive conference which it already is um but it's a it's a challenging time
0: well just as having uh chapel hill and raleigh so close nearby is an academic plus having the schools so close together is not necessarily good for <laughs> athletics yeah, because uh uh you know the support uh, uh you know if, if one of the schools was 100 miles away from the other there would be more fan support
1: just by the uh, th- just by the numbers but uh, you can't have it both ways i guess well when i moved here uh somebody asked me early in my tenure what was my biggest surprise and i said having three universities in the same athletic conference in the same media market yeah uh, because every morning you got to wake up and you have got to listen to and read about uh all three Of our teams that are in the same competing for the same airtime and competing against one another in the same conference. Um, But by the same token, you know, um, that's a great opportunity. You know, people move here from all over the world and at their first neighborhood potluck, the first conversation is who you're going to root for because you got to (laughs) choose. That's right. Oh. well, it, it,
0: as I said, it's, it's something that we all, uh, I don't know what we would, I i, I wonder from time to time what the people do after church if they live in Nebraska. I mean, who do they talk about?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to beat up on Nebraska too much. <laughs>
0: uh, well, we've got about a minute for you to answer this question, a minute and 10 seconds or so. What do you consider your biggest challenge of the next year as you look forward to another year as Chancellor of North Carolina State University?
1: Well, um, we haven't talked about this, and and I just want to acknowledge it. We've had a difficult year at NC State. Uh, we've had student mental health and well-being has been a challenge for us. You've read about it, and and you know. Uh, some of the challenges we face. so I believe our most significant challenge in higher education across the country and certainly at NC State is to help young people um, adapt to uh, to college and and uh, to to come through uh, that transition from high school to college uh, with with the ability to cope the resiliency so that they can, uh, understand failure is a good thing and can stimulate success down the road. So I'd say our biggest challenge right now is helping young people um, with their well-being, their mental health, making sure that they're prepared to be successful and and prepared to experience failure and do it in a way that uh, where their coping skills are strong.
0: Dr. Woodson, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Great topics and and great insights. Uh, If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to uh, carolinanewsmakers.com and hear our conversation with Dr. Randy Woodson of uh, North Carolina State University. And, of course, we'll be back again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina with another guest. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody.